You've heard the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? That's good. I would like to also say though, if it is broke, get it fixed quickly. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I'm an adult now. I have places to go and bills to pay. I have responsibilities and resources. I have paid for countless amounts of groceries and shoes and car repairs. I have learned so much. Might be because I had a lot to learn. I'll let you be the judge. I shared a couple of podcasts ago about a 1970-something Pania Catalina that I drove around at college for a brief time. You know, the one, the one I lost in the parking lot. Well, about a year or so after the lost car incident, I was driving this car rather consistently. I drove it to work in the summer, to softball games, to friends' houses. I drove it to twins' games and the mall and to church. Because I was driving it so much, I thought it would be good to learn some basic car repairs. If I was to be a responsible car driver slash not owner. <laughs> so I went to our local library and checked out a book on basic car repair. This is pre-Google days. It would have been so much easier now. I read about how to change a tire. I already knew about what to do if you flood the car. I read about it anyway. But here's the deal. Like if it won't start and you keep pumping the gas, it's a bad idea. You could flood your car. Too much gas gets somewhere and you have to wait a super long time before you can try to start again. Or you can pop the hood open and find the butterfly valve and hold it open or have a friend do it while you try to start the car again and it'll start right up like a charm. I don't mean to brag, but I kind of crushed at this. I shared this information whenever and however I could with whoever. If you can imagine, too, the types of cars one might find around a college campus in the late 80s, this information was shared constantly. So I nailed that one. All right, so change a tire. I learned about all the various fluids that needed to be checked. You had to check the power steering fluid and the windshield washer fluid and the oil and like that. All right, one day, I was running a little early, actually, to my softball game, so I decided I'd get gas and check my oil as I just learned about this and was feeling pretty steady. I pulled up to the pump, filled up with gas, popped the hood, and pulled out the dipstick to see just where my oil was measuring. Huh, I noticed it was low. I checked again just to be sure, wiped it off, and looked. Absolutely, yep, it's low. Good thing I know about this, I was thinking, and when I went in to pay for my gas, I bought a quart of oil. I strutted back to my car with a purpose. I had a plan. I had a quart of oil and a bunch of knowledge. I unscrewed the oil cap and started to pour in the oil, and as soon as it hit the spot, it started pouring right back out again. This didn't make sense. Clearly, it was low, but it was acting like it was full up to the top. So I measured it again. It was still low. I tried pouring it in again. It was still oozing out. I tried it a third time to see if, in fact, the adage, third time's a charm, was indeed true. It was not. The third time was just like the first and the second. And so I decided there was something wrong with my car. 
I walked back inside the gas station, carrying my oil cap with me, and I asked the man working there if he maybe knew what the problem was. I explained the whole thing to him while we were walking back over to my car. I'm clearly low on oil, but when I pour it in, it comes right back out. He said, let me take a look at her. I liked that he said that. He seemed trustworthy and knowledgeable. Only real mechanics call cars hers. Let me take a look at her. He then went over and twisted off the oil cap. I looked in my hand to see whatever the heck I was holding. He took my oil and poured it right in. He did a once-over on the engine, but I was hoping at this point maybe he'd just turn and walk away. But like I said, he was a real mechanic, and he couldn't give up that opportunity. He looked at the engine. Then he looked over at me and said, Well, Missy, I think I see the problem right here. Looks like you were pouring your oil into where the power steering fluid should be poured into. He choked out the words, and he started to laugh. I handed him the cap in my hand. I asked if I did any damage by doing this, like, would my steering be slippery now and unsafe? He laughed more and said it should be fine. It didn't get too much in there. I thanked him quickly. I got my car with just enough time to get to my game. Once fall came around, I got to drive this big boat of a car back to school because I had to do some classroom work for one of my courses and I was going to need to drive there. The car worked really well for a while, but then it started stalling out a bit, like when I put it in reverse. I'd get in the car, I'd slip the, pull the little lever down to reverse, and then it took a while to catch or something, and then it would go. This was a repair that was not in my wheelhouse. But also, it didn't seem to be that big of a deal because eventually it clicked in. I didn't tell my dad about it either because I was afraid he'd tell me I should have the car repaired and then I'd be without a car, so that would have been tragic. A month or so later, reverse didn't work at all. And after having some people help me push my car out of parking places when I threw it in neutral, I decided I'd just have to find places to park where I could drive through two spots or something, and I was actually able to do just fine. I was kind of proud of my problem-solving skills. I figured when it was time to go home for a break, I'd mention to my dad that R didn't work in the car anymore. And then the weirdest thing happened. Not only did reverse quit working, but I started having problems when I shifted into D. Same issue. Would stall for a little bit before it clicked in, and, and then eventually over time I lost that too. Fortunately, I could see when I shifted that I still had two, and that and one both worked great, so I should be fine. And so I drove my car in two for a while. I actually don't remember how long that lasted. It could have been days or weeks. I really don't remember. I honestly don't know. I just remember that when the time came for me to pack up and head home for my break, I threw in my books, laundry clothes, whatever else I thought I couldn't live without, and then I started my 20-minute drive home. I didn't live that far away. Good thing. I drove forward out of my parking space with my car in, too. It hesitated going a bit, and I panicked a little until I remember, nope, don't worry, you still have one. So I figured I should be fine. I drove out of my school's parking lot. I turned left onto Lydia. I waited at the light. I turned left onto Snelling. I drove until I got to County Road D, where I exited. And then I turned right, and then I turned left onto Lexington, and then I merged onto the freeway, Highway 694. Once I got going, once I gained some more speed, my car started acting strangely. It was kind of like lunging forward once in a while, randomly. I was afraid I might lose two, and then I thought, boy, if two goes and I'm stuck right here in the middle of the freeway, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to ram into me. So I thought the safe thing to do would be to just be proactive and slip the gear down into one. I sped along the highway, and pretty soon I noticed something that I was warned about in my car repair book. 
My car was experiencing excessive vibrations and I heard a low sound like a train. I thought, oh my gosh, I've got a flat tire. Fortunately, my parents' exit was going to be the next one up. So I thought, well, I'll just drive on it until I get home. I'm sure my dad will appreciate that. It's a lot easier to change a flat in the driveway than it is on the shoulder of a freeway, I figured. I exited. I snaked around the lake and turned right down my parents' road. And as I did, my car made a loud clunking noise. I imagined maybe a hubcap or something fell off because probably my tire's been shaking. I was able to limp along until I got in front of the house where I parked my car. I took in my stuff and I told my dad that I thought I had a flat tire and that maybe he should check it out. I walked out of the house with him, walked through the front yard, and walked right over to the car. He walked around the car, looked at all the tires, and said they looked fine. And then he asked why I thought that. And then I started. Well, the car was vibrating weird. It made this loud noise. And I thought, oh, man, that might be a flat tire. Well, I'm glad it wasn't. But maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe you could bring it to the mechanic and ask him about it. Because also, I have another problem. Um, first, okay, first, I lost reverse. I, it was just like click. And then I lost reverse. I can't reverse in it. And then I lost D. And then I continued to explain to him what went on. He sat there listening. Kind of quiet. My car was towed the next day. I never saw it again. Apparently, the tires were fine, but the transmission was shot. Years and years later, when our family minivan showed the least bit of hesitation in drive, I was able to quickly diagnose that we were looking at a pretty hefty transmission repair. I lived and I learned, and so it goes with life. In order to fix something correctly, we need to diagnose it correctly. So let's talk about that for a bit, shall we? Let's talk about sin. Sometimes when we misbehave, sometimes when we lose control and walk in wickedness, sometimes when we complain or carouse or criticize, sometimes when we grumble or gossip or we grow in greediness, sometimes when we worry or whine, sometimes when we look at the faults of others but neglect to see the faults in ourselves, sometimes when we want to decide for ourselves what is good and evil instead of allowing God to do that, sometimes when we do any or all of these things, instead of naming it sin, we say, it's just the way I am. It's my mother's fault. It's because of my dad. Or we say, I think what I'm doing wrong is your fault. And I'll fix my thing when you fix yours. Or we say, what else can you expect from a seven wing eight? Or a two wing one or whatever. The thing is, this is wrong. The thing is, we weren't created to live in sin. Here's the deal. We need to call sin, sin. And we need to recognize that our sinful natures are a one-off. In fact, I'd even venture to say our sinful nature is a way off. You see, we were created to live in relationship with a God who loves us fiercely. We were created to find joy and peace in him. We were created to enjoy a life without sin, but we chose sin because, well, we just wanted to. The grass looked greener on the other side. And when Satan came to Adam and Eve and offered them the opportunity to be like God, knowing good and evil, they took it. They grabbed it. They bit it and ate it. Again, I can't say enough that they already had an understanding of what good and evil was. Like they knew to eat these things was good, but to eat that thing was bad. They were already told that. So it wasn't discernment they were after. Oh, yes, let's eat so we can know what's good and bad. And then we can always choose the good and we can never choose the bad. No, sir, that was not their intent. 
Their intent looked more like, absolutely, I want that. I want to determine what is right and wrong because I don't want anybody being the boss of me. I want to boss me. I want to please me. I want to adore me and worship me and make sure that me is good. But no matter what they thought, no matter what you think, no matter what I think, being the boss of me is not a valid option. It will not work. We were not created to run that way. We were created differently. We were created to be in relationship with and to worship God. And so when we live in sin, it's like we're driving our car down the freeway in first gear and eventually something's got to give. If not in the here and now, it for sure will in the there and then. But there's good news for us. When we accurately identify our problem as sin, we can deal with it because Christ has dealt with it. We can receive forgiveness from and freedom from sin as well. Scripture talks about this often. Yes, of course, first and foremost, we must receive the forgiveness that is offered to us by Jesus and because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. But once we've done that, once we've received forgiveness, once forgiveness is ours, how do we make sure we're maintaining the car correctly, right? What should we check off on? We need to make sure we're pouring into ourselves with things we need to to run well, right? We can't be feeding our mind and heart and our attitude with wrong thoughts. We can't put oil where the power steering fluid should go. It's not meant to be there. If you feed your mind with thoughts of dissatisfaction, anger, feeling sorry for yourself, Comparative statements, either ones like where you come out better than someone else or ones where you end up worse than someone else. We need to get rid of all of those things. We need to get rid of malice and rage and gossip. We cannot put thoughts of self-preservation, self-focus, self, 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 whatever self into our mind. We need to know who we are in Christ. Yes, we need to know we are beloved by him. We're chosen by him, sustained by him, known by him. We need to feed ourselves that. We need to constantly pour into our hearts and minds what is necessary for life and godliness, and God gives us that. Second Peter 1.3 says that God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What is God's divine power that he's given us? He's given us the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is God. It's a he. He is divine. The Holy Spirit is at power at work in those who believe. It is not a what, it's a who. We get what we need through our knowledge of him who called us. As we know God more, we are better equipped for godly life. We need both. We need the knowing and the doing. For example, knowing that God is forgiving and loving and gracious and patient and that his power indwells us, we too can live lives that exemplify forgiveness and love and graciousness and patience, right? We have no excuses. If we're not living this way, we're sinning and we need to repent and we need to apply the grace that God continues to give us day after day after day after day. So when does this process stop? Well, Paul told the church at Philippi that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that is true for us as well. He continues his work in the gospel until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a continuous process. Some people call this process sanctification. Some people call it becoming more like Christ. Some people call this process taking off the old self and putting on the new self. 
Some people call it a supernatural transformation and renewing of our mind. Whatever you call it, whatever you call this process, it is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit and has practical value in our everyday lives. Let's be encouraged to give attention to our sinful areas as they come up. Let's not try to function without reverse or D, which by the way, now I know means drive or two. When you notice something, deal with something. For example, if you are caught in a frenzy of worry, bring it to the Lord. Confess to him that you aren't trusting him and don't make excuses for yourself. I mean, I'm trusting God. It's just that I'm not sure what's going to happen here. So it's just a cause for concern. That's a contradiction. It might be true. You maybe don't know what's going to happen. In fact, I go so far as to say that none of us ever knows what's really going to happen. We just think we do, and we manage life in that paradigm. Instead, we need to daily say, I have no idea what's going to happen today, but today I choose to trust you, God, knowing that you hold me and you know what today holds, and so I will not worry about today, nor will I worry about tomorrow because you have asked me not to. Instead, I will use all of my energy today to serve you best. We can live life in his power, and as we do, I promise you, he will accomplish far more than we ever could accomplish alone. And what's more, when we work in his power and are able to conquer sin areas in our lives because of it, not because of what we are doing, but because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us, what happens? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 tells us that. It tells us this. It says this. Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we submit to God and allow his Holy Spirit's power to come in and transform us, to renew our mind, to make us act more like Christ, the more we know him, the more we exude him. As he continues to do this, he will get the glory. There will be no way anyone will think we could do that on our own. Instead, he will get the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.